Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Amazing. Let's go, guys. How you doing? You good? Come on, let's go. Where's the energy squad at? Same as usual. Come on, guys. All right, come on. There we go. All right, so um, let's get into it. Let's get straight into it. Um, so, guys, I have a real simple objective tonight. Uh, maybe it's a little bit too simple. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's a little bit too naive. Maybe it's not, I don't know, creatively cutting or like intellectually stimulating enough. Uh, but it's a word that I believe God has laid on my heart. Uh, in this current cultural moment where the call to prayer seems so crucial, it seems so time sensitive, it seems so important, it seems like something we know that we probably should do a little bit more right, as like God's like representatives, as like Jesus's hands and feet in a world that's wide awake with anxiety and unanswered questions. And so to this, I have a really simple suggestion tonight, a simple suggestion that I believe has transformational consequences for our relationship with prayer and ultimately our relationship with God. And here it is, come like a child, come like a child. That's it. And some of you might be thinking, that's it? That's all? Like, what, what, what about all the reasons why God doesn't answer prayer? What about how when I pray, sometimes it feels like I'm speaking to four walls or thin air? What about all the times that I feel like I've prayed for something or that thing that, hasn't, uh, that I've been longing for hasn't come through yet? What about what I say to God in prayer? Like, is it God? Is it Father? Is it the Lord? Like, come on, bro. Like, what is it? Like, what about those different types, the nine different types of prayer that you could probably speak on? Intercession, confession, warfare, all these types of things. And your talk today has come like a child. Well, sorry, guys. <laughs> That's all I got. That's what God gave me. But I believe there's power in it today. Amen. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Someone say amen. Come on. There's power in this simple call to come like a child. That's today's big idea. That's what I felt as I prayed and pondered on this message today, that God wants us to come away with the simple truth, that he wants us to respond to his invitation to prayer like a child. So if you're taking notes, uh, you're probably not, but preachers love to say that to make themselves sound a little bit more interesting than they actually are. (laughs) But if you are taking notes, uh, this is today's sermon title as well, Come Like a Child. Right, so I should probably pray since I'm speaking about prayer. So would you pray with me? God, would you help us not to be afraid of the silence that sometimes comes in prayer? God, would you teach us that the miracle's not in the answers necessarily, but in the mystery and the mess of the middle, Lord? Would you help us to get beyond religion and into relationship? Would you speak through me tonight? Would you call us to prayer, Lord? In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen, amen. So let's actually start with a definition. What is prayer? What is prayer? Well, the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms defines prayer as this. Prayer from the Latin word procari means to entreat. It means to entreat. In other words, it simply means to approach God. Prayer is the human approach to God. 
So prayer is to approach God, to come near, to, to, to draw close to God, and simply to keep company with him. And when we think about this idea of approaching God in prayer, the best philosophy or the best instruction that we can ever read comes from Jesus, obviously. And what does Jesus say on this idea? A lot. But what I find more interesting than what Jesus says on this idea is who Jesus points to as the most exemplary model for how we are to pray. Who did Jesus spotlight as the archetypal representatives for which we should follow in coming close to him? Which people group did Jesus pluck out or pluck out of society and say, these, these guys are the examples? Children. Children. And um, we're going to understand in just a moment why this concept, why this notion of coming like a child is so powerful. Uh, but before we jump into our grounding passage for today, I want to share some quick quotes from uh, one of my favorite books, uh, probably my favorite book in the world, a book that's really touched my heart. Uh, it's a book called Children's Letters to God. Come on, come on somebody. There it is. Look at that. Children's Letters to God. And um, I found this book actually in a Christian charity shop. I bought it for 50p. Come on. Amen. Best purchase I've ever made. No, no joke, seriously, really good. Anyway, why, why do I like this book so much? Well, we'll get into that, but I, I guess what I wanted to do to start off is just to share some of the kind of outstanding quotes from this book. Are you guys ready? All right. FYI, um, the numbers of prayers in these books are actually written by children, obviously, children's letters to God. And they're kind of around the year three stage, and these are like raw, uncut, unedited. This is like the real deal. So first up is our boy, Norman. Big up for Norman. Here we go. Dear, dear God, I think it's terrific the way they got the astronauts to go up, to go around, around the world. Uh, please don't let it fall in our house. <laughs> Your friend, Norman. Now we've got Martha. Hashtag Martha, not Mary. Let's go. Oh, it's the, it's the other way. Mary, not Martha. There we go. Dear God, I lost my glove again, and I'm going to get heck unless somebody sticks up for me. Will you? <laughs> All right, our boy Chris. No, not Chris. Chris is coming after. Martin, let's go. Dear God, my father is mean. Please get him not to be. But don't hurt him. Sincerely, Martin. Then we got Chris, one of my favorites. Here we go. Suspense. Chris is an entrepreneur, by the way. <laughs> Dear God, I made 26 cents selling lemonade. I will give you some of it on Sunday. Love, Chris. Amen. Chris is going to come do our generosity talk next week, by the way. So get ready for that. Okay, we got Nan. A couple more. We got Nan. Let's go. Dear God, the people in the next apartment fight real loud all the time. You should only let very good friends get married. <laughs> How many people know that Nan is a teacher? Amen? <laughs> Come on. Come on, church. And last but not least, our boy Raymond. Dear God, I got left back. Thanks a lot. Raymond. <laughs> oh, I love this book. Honestly, I've got it in the back, actually, if anyone wants to uh, like, go through it later on. It's amazing. Uh, you know the Russian novelist, Fyodor Dodovsky, he said this, the soul is healed by being with children. The soul is healed by being with children. And when you read such uh, examples of simple, honest, and unedited prayers like these, you just can't help but feel something inside of you that smiles and laughs at the innocence of it all, right? And that, 
That, that, that, that, that springs up in our hearts, that, that, that feeling of joy, that feeling of ease and calmness, that serenity and uncomplicated virtue is the childlike essence. And it's the same essence, church, that our God passionately wants to protect in us. And this is what we will see in our passage today, which is from Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, which tells us this. People were also bringing babies, or some other translations say children, to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to the children to, call the children to him and said, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, at this point of the gospel narrative, Jesus was on his final journey to Jerusalem, where he knew he would be crucified and hung on the cross to die for our sins. And so this was kind of the climactic moment, to use a cinematic term, of Jesus's story, the moment where the protagonist realizes what action they need to follow through on to accomplish the end goal. And so Jesus was at a really important moment in his ministry. You can literally feel the tension in the text, the humid air blowing from the southwest region of the world, the kind of clatter on the stone cobbled streets as people run up to Jesus and say, hey, can we just get a last word before you go? The anxiety written on the face of the disciples of Peter and John as they internally wrestle with the growing fame of Jesus and what that would mean to the Roman Empire. And in the midst of this, the people started bringing children, can you imagine, children to Jesus. And so Peter turns to Philip and Philip turns to John and John looks at James and eventually one of them says, what are you doing? Do you not know that Jesus is busy? What, what are you doing? And the parents, in shameful horror, kind of bow their heads and, and, and go to collect their children and, and, and pick them up from the feet of Jesus. And, and just before they do, a voice softly yet powerfully pierces the silence and says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like one of these little children will never enter into it. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like these little children will never enter it. Now you ask, what does the kingdom of God have to do with prayer? Well, everything. For the kingdom of God, simply put, is God's rule and his reign and where he governs, right? And what is prayer? Prayer is to approach God, like we saw in our definition earlier. So prayer is access, if you like, into the governmental rule and the presence of God's reign. And thus prayer is perhaps the most fundamental activity this side of heaven that we will ever do. Prayer is a key dimension to the divine human relationship. And in entering prayer, we experience not only God's reign and his rule, but we have intimacy with God. We get to know him as a person. And so this verse which comes to tell us that we should go into the kingdom like children also applies to prayer. Amen? You guys following? It also applies to prayer. And in this, we see what has one scholar put it, that children, that God sent children into the world, not only to replenish the world, 
but to serve as sacred reminders of something precious we are always in danger of losing. And what is that? Well, it's the simplicity, the joy, the wonder of knowing God. And so we should, no, in fact, I would say we must protect our God-given childlike spirit that has been given to us as a gift. And the way we do that spiritually, the way we protect our childlike spirit spiritually is the same way that we would do physically. Because physically with children, we're called to do two things, right? We're called to either protect them from pitfalls or to provide for them. To provide for them the flourishing that they need to grow up into fully functioning human beings. But it's the former that I want to focus on tonight, if that's cool with you guys. I want to focus on the protection part, the protection from pitfalls. You see, the invitation to come like a child to prayer is always under accusation and attack. Always. And this is because the, the, the posture of childlikeness in the Christian faith is not merely a cute concept that kind of makes us feel really warm and fuzzy inside, but I would say it's a vibrant, transformative, vital part of obedience and love. That was a good point, Tammy. Well done. <laughs> and so, thank you. Come on. And so to come like a child in prayer, I believe we must spotlight and relentlessly remove the pitfalls that we often fall into that stop us from doing so. And I believe there are three main pitfalls that stop us from this childlike call to prayer. And so let's begin with the first, the pitfall of cancelling. The pitfall of cancelling. So the other day I started reading a book uh, called Creation, um, and it's written by an author called Michael Baxter. And um, as I sat down this kind of sunny day reading this book, expecting for like a really like calm read to like, like drift my mind away, I just rocked immediately on like the first few pages. If you read it, you'll see it. In the first few pages where he basically bombards you with a bunch of statistics on the amount of content we are consuming each day. Let me give you one stat. So IBM, one of the world's leading uh, technology companies, estimates that we now produce over 2.5 quintillion bytes of data. That is 25000, it's a lot of zeros, right? Megabytes of data each day. It looks, it looks a little bit like this. And if you used to draw, draw out like each one and zero from just one megabyte of data, the line would be five times the size of Mount Everest. That's how much data we have. Facebook alone deals with 2.7 billion items of content each day. And at the time of writing this book in 2016, it was found that in the past two years, humanity had produced more data than the rest of human history combined. So what's the point? Well, the point is that information used to be quite rare. It used to be quite hard to keep or communicate information. It used to be quite time-consuming because the materials were expensive. You know, you would have to write on papyrus paper. And even in the invention of the printing press in the, in the year 1400s, the books that we, we got were still quite rare. And even if we did get them, we had to try and verify the author. And so today, we have not only solved the problem of creating and communicating information. We no longer have information poverty, but we have information overload. We have an explosion of choice at our fingertips. Each person, each of you now have 320 times the amount of data and content that the Library of Alexandria hold, held, which is an ancient library in Egypt 
that all the scholars would go to to try and get wisdom. We now have 320 times that amount of wisdom in our lives. And here's, here's a clue where we can find all this information. Um, it's usually quite rectangular, right? And um, it usually distracts us from like really good sermons. So not like this one. And um, we've probably all got one. You guessed it, it's, it's the smartphone. The smartphone. And so this kind of creation, this explosion of data and megabytes and pixels, what does this actually mean for our prayer life? What does this explosion of choice mean for how we come to God? Well, it means a lot because as we navigate these unprecedented times in history, especially in the creative hub, an emotionally kind of unfriendly, highly intellectual, full of choice city like London, where the lights are bright and the nights are long, the question is no longer how can we have more, but how will we find what really matters? And so though we know deep down in our souls that we probably need to pray more and we probably need to communicate with God more, we quickly cancel any plans that we have of actually doing that because we're kind of busy, right? We're social and we're trying to be somewhat successful, whether that's profit margins or parenting, promotions or platforms, whether that's date nights and birthdays or weddings or fitness goals. We just don't have the time or the energy or the space to pray. And so we cancel. You basically don't make time for God. And so it's no surprise why some data, uh, even new research in 2020 found that 57% of Brits say they never pray. And shockingly, 33% of them are Christian. Never. We cancel on God. We don't make time for him. But I've got good news This isn't all doom and gloom. Someone say amen. Come on. Here we go. I've got good news. There is a solution, but I'm going to do that thing where I drag it out a little bit longer. I'm going to add it in at the end as we deal with our second pitfall today. And that second pitfall to come into prayer like a child is this, the pitfall of complicating. Somebody say complicating. There we go. Here's a cool fact. You know, if you was to do like a word study or if you was to do a deep study in scripture about how it speaks about prayer, you would find that the most dominant metaphor that is used in the Bible to speak about prayer is through conversational terminology. So it's always words like said or spoke or or call or cry. Mostly these are the words that describe the act of prayer. And this differs hugely. This differs hugely from other world religions and approaches to spirituality because the Bible teaches this fundamental truth. You cannot, I cannot master prayer. No matter how hard we try, unlike other religious and spirituality approaches, there is no magic formula, there is no private entry point, there is no mastery of prayer. We cannot get this a deity or a spiritual being to do something we want to do by having a special technique. There is no formula that says that, oh, if there is a, a certain amount of people praying at any given time, at a certain time, and if they pray certain words, and if they speak in really good tongues, like prayer, Pentecostal prayer mamas, then something will happen. There is no formula. The Christian call to prayer is simply this, to pray simply. If you dove into the Bible, you'll find that whilst time is mentioned in relationship to prayer, there is no single time, place, or gesture, or posture that becomes the emblem for prayer. 
You would find people who prayed in every type of way, a bowed head, uh, people who played closed eyes, standing up, laying down, sitting down, folded hands, pounding their chest. There are many different ways you would find. And, and so what you find is that actually it's not about necessarily the physical activity, but it's about whether that activity, whether it's physical or a place, is representative of the heart, the simple heart to love God. And so how do you pray to God? Well, you talk to God like a friend. You welcome him in. You say, thank you for being here. You speak. You laugh a little. Maybe you vent. Maybe you shout. Maybe you say sorry for shouting. <laughs> speak to him like a friend. And so we pray to our friend and father with ease, with boldness, with joy, with sorrow, with questions, with doubts, with fears, with insecurities. We pray, we, we, we go into God's presence. And, and you might be thinking, how does this change my tomorrow? Well, rather than canceling on that divine human invitation to prayer because you feel overwhelmed and busy, you simply say, hey God, I feel overwhelmed and busy. Would you help me today? Rather than cancelling that calendar reminder to come to Kingdom Come on the 20th of September, cheeky plug, I got it in. Amen? Rather than cancelling that, that appointment or that, that event to come to a prayer meeting because you're paralysed with the self-evaluation that your prayer doesn't sound like the professional Christian that literally prays words they never, ever actually use in everyday conversation. They kind of sound like a King's James version, like, and the crown, like if they had a baby, like, you know that type of person's like these and thous and thous and aunts and all this stuff. And so you self-evaluate and think, oh, I'm not that confident. I can never pray like that. Well, when we simplify, when we understand that the core in Christian prayer is to simplify, then we don't Think about that. We kick out the fear of getting it wrong and saying it wrong and doing it wrong. For the child of God is in, that's in us, that's in me, says that we are to come to God naively and bold and full of wild-eyed wonder and willing to risk it and get it wrong. We come to God with our errors and our, our miscommunications and sometimes our outbursts and our typos and all that stuff. And we just say, Lord... You're worthy. So here I am. I want to tell you a quick story about um, a time where I, uh, I did the opposite to what I'm speaking about and I tried to complicate prayer, right? So um, I think I was in like one of those like good um, seasons. Uh, you know, one of those moments where it's like intimacy and all that stuff, right? And so I basically heard loads of talks and prayer and I said, I am going to set that absolute stage for God so I went to like Earl of the East right and I bought like these incense cones like come on who knows about Earl of these incense cones come on so I bought these incense cones and then I got home and I put the Spotify playlist on Amanda Cook amen coming to Renaissance how many people know that Amanda Cook leads you into the presence amen so I've got Amanda Cook on, I've got my incense cones, and on top of it, my lights have dimmers. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You thought Songs of Solomon had something. Nah, not on me. I had intimacy down, guys, right? So I'm in this place, and I'm like, yo. <laughs> I was like, I am going to experience God. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. And I stop praying because nothing's happening. I'm not feeling anything. I've run out of words. 
And I look up and I think, oh, this is a bit anticlimactic. And something in me is just like, hey, would you, would you like turn on the lights? <laughs> Surely not, Lord. The lights. Away from me, Satan. I was like, that can't be the Lord. Something in me is like, would you just turn on the lights? I'm like, okay, wait, turn on the lights. And, and, and whilst you're at it, would you, would you blow out the incense cones? No way! The Spirit of God could not have said that because these incense cones are expensive, right? 16 pounds a pot, honestly, it's crazy. So I was like, there's no way, but I always moved to do it. So I you know, blew, out, blew out the incense cones. And then that voice came for the cook. And at that point, at that point, I was convinced that can't be God. Surely, Lord, you can't be calling me to turn off the Spotify. I just queued up a room. Like, literally, like, it was, I was ready to, like, go in. Like, no, would you, would you turn it off? Okay, so, you know, trod along and, you know, take off the music. And at that moment, it's kind of like, Oh, God, you're here. Like, kind of started speaking to God a little bit more. I was like, uh, I feel a bit awkward. <laughs> and I tried to do all this stuff. But um, it feels like God didn't need that. And I can't tell you the amount of times that's happened to me in my Christian walk where, I don't know, I went to some event or whatever and I came out, I was like, yeah, I'm going to build. And the thing is, I'm not against building beautiful places for the Lord. We see it all in scripture. Hopefully we will have spaces like that where we build places to pray and to, and to seek God. I'm not against that. But the, the point is this, is that it's not about the architecture or the eloquence or whatever you do to try and muster up intimacy. It's about the simple call to come to your father like a child, amen? And so in that story, I kind of learned the importance of simplifying, of not complicating it, of not canceling because I can't pray like others or whatever, but just simplifying, not canceling and not complicating, but coming like a child. So where are we? Well, we've learned that children are kind of sacred reminders, calling us not to grow up and out of love and wonder with God. And we've addressed the pitfalls of cancelling and complicating. And uh, in the next couple minutes, we're going to land with the final pitfall, which is the pitfall of condemning. The pitfall of condemning. You know, as a pastor, I haven't been kind of doing this for long, but one of the things I hear the most when I speak to people or my friends about where their faith life is at, after they kind of get through all the stuff that they didn't really want to say, is, is this kind of undertone of accusation. It's kind of like we've just constantly allowed ourselves to be just hit with condemnation, even though the scripture tells us quite clearly that that, that does not exist in Christ. And so this, this kind of condemnation pushes and pushes and pushes against our prayer lives, against us coming simply to God. And, and I want to help you with something that I learned that really helped me. I learned this, that, you know, so often when it comes to prayer, we talk about our desire to go, to go after God. Like, why don't you just press in? Like, revival prayer, do it. Just like, do it, just go for it, desire God. And that's all good and that's all lovely, but do you know that our desire for God is actually secondary to his? Let me prove it to you. 
In John 17, 24, this is what Jesus says. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I desire. Do you know that God has desire? Do you know that the Father has desire for you? Do you know that this isn't symbolism or poetry, but it's a raw, eternal, before the foundation of the world, extravagant desire for you and for I? Listen to me, church. We must get this deep, deep, deep into our hearts because otherwise we will continually self-condemn ourselves out of the place of coming simply like a child. So what's the starting point? Well, the starting point is this. God is love. Would you say that with me? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God is love, which means that God cannot be deprived because of our lack of dialogue. Nor is he at risk of becoming less loving towards you. Because in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is fully and completely in love. And within this triune community, he has everything he needs. And not only is God love, but God first loved us. Meaning that God is always the initiator, the beginning of our affections towards him. In other words, you don't love, desire, or pray to God because you're good, but because he is. And therefore, the very fact that you even have a desire, whether it's a wonky desire that never gets acted upon, the very fact you have a desire is an act of grace. It's a miracle. Because the Bible tells us that the natural person doesn't actually desire God. So the fact that you awake and you think, I should pray, even the thought itself is an act of grace. Now, there are many reasons why we don't act on it. That's a whole other sermon. I'm not going to go into that. But the point is this. Those kind of excuses that we use to not come to God in prayer like, hey, uh, I haven't prayed in weeks, months, or days, and I really can't come to God in this state. I really can't come to God in this mess. Those excuses don't really apply. And in fact, if I was to push it, those excuses are actually prideful statements. Because what they do is that they predicate our desire or our our ability to come to God on our past activities rather than his grace. We say that I can only come to God if I've moralistically got my life in check. If I've done all the stuff I think is good enough, I can come to God. Meaning that we place ourselves in the presence of the one who actually calls us out of his mercy. When the Bible says, I'm going to call the band up as I come into landing. When the Bible says that our only, our only right to come before God isn't our moralistic achievements, but Jesus. Our only right. Let me read the script to you, to, to you as we close. And I wonder whether maybe you would close your eyes and let this wash over you. Let the word of God remind you how and why you're able to even come like a child. Hebrews 5, 14, 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, But we have one, Jesus, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And here's the kicker. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. With confidence. 
with confidence. Not condemnation, with confidence. Not cancelling our plans, with confidence. Not complicating it, with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How are we to come to God in prayer to approach his kingdom? Not in condemnation. We do away with that. But in confidence that we are his children and we have been invited. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand as we respond? Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.chat. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.